0: Welcome to Grief and Gratitude, a podcast by Coffee and Grief. I'm Annie Gudger, and this is my fabulous daughter, Maria Gibson. We're a mom daughter team who talk about grief. I'm fond of saying that grief is transformative. We don't need to stay stuck in the hard parts, even though there are lots of hard parts.
1: Grief is one of life's certainties, it allows us to connect to each other's humanity. If you're here in the early stages of grief, we're here to say it's hard. We're here to say be kind to yourselves and thank yourselves for showing up, for being curious about what grief can look like in its wholeness. We are not here to be prescriptive. All we are doing is offering a little bit of hope. So, as we like to say, grab your coffee or your tea or whatever your beverage is and let's talk. Today, we
0: are super excited and honored to have Armin Bacon on as our guest. Hi, Armin.
2: Hello, and I'm honored to be here.
0: So happy to have you. I'm going to share Armin's bio, and then she is going to read a beautiful piece that she has prepared for us today. Armin Bacon writes and lives with uncensored passion, heart, and a sense of urgency. Her words stir the soul and have been praised as, quote, pulling us a little closer to each other, end quote. Armin made her writing debut with the powerful memoir, Griefland, an intimate portrait of love, loss, and unlikely friendship. It's a story of two women whose words and astonishing friendship helped them survive the ultimate loss, the death of their children. Her second book, My Name is Arman, A Life in Column Inches, contains a decade's worth of essays on family, friends, love, and loss. Her third book, My Name is Arman, Outside the Lines, takes readers beyond the margins of everyday life, always circling back returning home, celebrating the resilience of the human spirit. Armin is busy working on her next book project, Daring to Breathe. Armin says, the more we give expression to this journey, the better we support each other through the complex and unpredictable maze of life. By sharing stories, we discover ourselves. Please check the show notes to find Armin's information and where you can connect with her. And now we welcome Armin. Thank you
2: so much. Um, Again, I'm so pleased to be here. And as you always say, to help just put a microphone to grief and to literally bring it out of the closet. Um, Today, I'm gonna read uh, from Griefland. Uh, My co-author, Nancy Miller and I, in our early days of grief and being together as writing partners, um, we were just continually bombarded with people saying, I'm sorry for your loss. And there got to a point where those words felt so hollow and shallow to us. So I decided to write a chapter about those words. And so I'm going to read that now. In those first days and weeks following Alex's death, my once quiet mailbox was crowded with cards and letters, even books that arrived in large padded manila envelopes, some bulging with Bible verses, promises of healing, watermarked with faint pastel florals, religious symbols, and the words with deepest sympathy. All were intended to offer hope and support, but most only added weight to the nagging hurt, the pain that exploded from my chest, the invisible wound that felt wide open and exposed, so much so that I feared I was bleeding to death. My husband and I opened cards, one after another, as if the next one might offer a cure for the terminal heartache we were both suffering. The words somehow seemed flimsy, inadequate, redundant. Eyes bloodshot, bodies aching with exhaustion. We had lost sight of the love or compassion with which these notes had been so painstakingly written. Some even came from complete strangers. Who is this person? I asked my husband Dan repeatedly. Neither of us was functioning. There was mental confusion, sleep deprivation, and mountains of cards. Deciphering signatures, we paused long enough to nod at someone's thoughtfulness, but even this small cerebral movement was tedious. The flurry of mail sent with good intentions night after night for us was dreaded and welcome. We were starving for privacy. Time to gather our senses. Some notes were stuck beneath the welcome mat at the front door, the same spot we had discovered the coroner's car a few days earlier. The notes were intrusive, as if written by a voyeur peering through the front window, watching us undress our sorrow in the dark. We sifted through more cards. Many by now were more duplicate images, subdued shades of sadness, varying degrees of apology, Everyone was sorry and at a loss for words. Like us, no one was prepared for that moment. The cards became a daily reminder that someone in our family had died. Occasionally, I would find a different kind of note that reminded me to stop and think for a minute about the broken parts, those pieces inside that nobody could see, the pieces that were shattered, permanently damaged and unfixable. I held tight to this card. It went into a special pile. It was from someone who had traveled this journey, a woman whose husband had died in his sleep. Death was so sudden for her, for us, catching everyone off guard. I remember her telling me she didn't know what to say to her six-year-old. It was the middle of the night. There was so little time to prepare, never enough time. My husband would leave the room momentarily, maybe to catch his breath, but would return quickly. Opening mail now required a partner. I couldn't do it alone. We would resume the ritual, opening more cards, trying to stack them neatly, keeping envelopes for addresses. The pile kept falling over. Grief is messy. The words just won't come. I have no words. It's difficult to know what to say at a time like this. I needed something more, an explanation, words to chronicle this experience, this passage that felt as if it might take me also to the grave, but there were more cards to read. I reached for the next batch of envelopes. We received hundreds of notes, sympathy cards, and letters ranging from the sorry for your loss with sincere regrets, to those extending a hand, the if-there's-anything-we-can-do variety. They came in droves, many accompanied by floral arrangements, incense-filled candles, and even ceramic angels. Some of the notes were from strangers who'd become acquainted with Alex through his obituary, drawn, I imagine, to his youthful photo, curious about the cause of death, and finally needing to share a bit of the pain, as if to acknowledge that society, or modern medicine, or even the family had failed him. One of my friends wrote, Children are a gift we receive on terms we aren't allowed to negotiate. Accepting those terms is our gift to them for however much time we are allowed to have together. This note went into the short pile, one I still go back to every now and then. I once read that planning a funeral is like planning a wedding, only you have to do it in less than 72 hours. I began gathering photos, all of my favorites, Alex at the pumpkin patch, Alex with his sister, Alex with his cousin Lauren, Alex in the famous Superman cape. Without even a pause, it was time to start writing his obituary. How do you summarize your child's life in column inches? As a writer, I should have known how to do this, but I obsessed over each word. And before I could finish a first draft, visitors and more cards began arriving. The funeral procession was about to begin. Tragedy is a horrible thing to waste. Many squander it by growing sorry for themselves, drowning their grief and guilt, torturing themselves with endless what-ifs or growing bitter and angry. As the cards and letters ceased, As people moved on with their lives, expecting us to do the same, we arrived at our own moment of truth. Could we survive this? I think I'll stop there.
1: Thank you so much. That was
0: wonderful. Thank you. That was really beautiful. I've read that in your book and I really love hearing it in your voice.
2: Thank you. I I chose that chapter because in this last two years, we have had—you know—we're living in an era of loss between COVID, aging parents. Some of us are at that age now where we're losing friends and colleagues. And, you know, I think it's healthy to to revisit that. How do we acknowledge the passing of someone close to us? How 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 what what else is there besides the words? What other things can we do?
1: to help someone who is grieving. That, that was actually the question I was thinking of asking you as you read. Oh. Is something along like, what do you do having experienced your loss now for other people who are grieving? And is there like words you like to send or what's kind of your way to support others in their grief?
2: Well, I love that question because, well, first of all, because I'm a writer, I love writing. I, I'm I'm not usually at a loss for words, but but everybody grieves differently. Um, sometimes I just show up, and um, one of the early things I learned because of my own experience was that you know the, the doorbell starts ringing. People do start showing up, usually with casseroles and food and rolls and, and desserts. And one of the things I do, you might think it's a little bit quirky, but when a good friend of mine loses somebody, I, I go to the store and buy plasticware, paper cups, napkins, because they're gonna need that when all the casseroles arrive. And I and it's something that you can leave at the front door with a love note. And so I, you know, sometimes if it's somebody very close to me, of course I'll knock at the door and, and reach in and give them a big hug and, and see if they need something. But that's one of those staple things that you can leave it at front door with, with a note. And it always comes in handy. I mean, the paper plates, the plastic cups, the, the silverware, the napkins. Um, I have found that to be something great. Um, and because, because flowers, every, everybody sends flowers. And so I try to think a little bit outside of the box. And, and that's one of those things that I've found to be very helpful.
0: Well, and genuinely useful. Yes, yes. When you're in that deep grief, thinking about making food and serving it and all that is just overwhelming. So I, I love that you do that.
2: And, and again, if it's somebody you are close to and you know them, um, you know, things will pop into your head. I mean, and sometimes two or three years later, I'll be walking through a line at Target and I'll see something and that person will come into my mind. And it's like the perfect thing to buy. And it doesn't just have to be shared during that period of initial grieving because we, our grief lasts forever. So if somebody sends me a note on a Tuesday, it doesn't have to be my son's birthday or is, uh, the day he passed. It can be any day of the week, any moment in time, and I will welcome it with open arms. And I think that's, that speaks for a lot, of, a lot of people who are grieving. There is no timetable. There's no expiration date. There's no statute of limitations that really, it's never too late to say, I'm thinking of you and I'm wrapping my arms around you. Um, I know that 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 has been something that when I lecture, a lot of people ask me, it's like, I wanted to reach out, but I was afraid, I didn't know what to do, I didn't have the words, I was nervous, and now it's been two years. And I think we have to be gentle with ourselves and with others, you know, this is territory. I think that we're more comfortable in, but for a lot of people, it's still taboo. It's like, how do I navigate the loss of a good friend or their parents or a child? And so um, I always tell everybody, there's no expiration date for us and there's no expiration date for you to reach out to us. Thank
0: you. Yeah. Yeah, very true. And a really good thing for people to hear. Because it is, you know, people get uncomfortable around grief. It's why we're doing our best to have these conversations.
2: Yes. So it's
1: a little yeah. less awkward. Yeah. And we like to say, don't bring casseroles.
2: <laughs> <laughs> don't bring casseroles.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's it's one one I've ones. written a little piece Lasagnas.
0: about no lasagna. Like, yeah. you know, because that's sort of the first go-to thing. And, you know, I mean. Bring something you'd like to eat. Bring something you'd like to eat.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And And, you know, most of, you know, in early grief, you don't have this big appetite. So it, it needs to be stuff that probably is a little more gentle on your, on, on your uh, insides. So, and sometimes I, you know, I had, we had a couple friends who just brought a bottle of wine or brought something kind of like, it's almost borders on like, oh, this is disrespectful cause we're not having a party. But they brought something that in their heart was Something that they wanted to co- connect with us on, and so that was okay. It was okay.
0: Yep. Yeah. One of my one of my um, mom's friends brought me this lovely homemade meal in a picnic basket, like like beautifully presented. And yes. then she said later, "I hope that wasn't weird." And I was like, "No, actually, it was really lovely because it yeah. just showed that she cared."
2: Yes, and I, I think people feel that way about like taking cookies or something that's more. Thought of as a celebratory food item you know so but again there's no right or wrong thing to do
1: um could you kind of summarize in a brief nutshell version your grief story just so people kind of can follow along with you too, your life grief story your whatever grief story you would like to share today.
2: Well, my story is kind of interesting because um, I, I lost my son Alex when he was 22, which was 18 years ago. But before that, uh, you know, I'm Armenian, and you know, my grandparents lost most of their family in the Armenian genocide, and so grief was part. I feel like it runs through my veins. It certainly ran through theirs and they were survivors. But growing up, we never talked about grief. It was completely taboo. And they had experienced such atrocity and uh, pain that grief was expressed by wearing black, by staying quiet and staying home. So we never heard about, we never heard this grief stories. And, um, and, so, and, and I always, as I grew older, that always troubled me because um, I, I very much wanted to know what they, how they, had, how they had come from Armenia to California and how they had been such resilient survivors through, through genocide. And so I started researching and my mom and I did a lot of research and you know, then you know, all of a sudden, I have a child, and he starts treading in some difficult waters. And I just had this sixth sense that we were going to lose him, and um, he passed in two thousand four. And um, almost immediately, I started writing uh, op-ed pieces and, and essays about grief. And one morning, I woke up and I said, I'm going to grieve out loud. I'm not going to be my grandmother. And I'm going to grieve for her also. I'm going to take the grief that she was unable to articulate, and I'm going to share that story too. And I've written a lot about her story as well. Um, And and so uh, I've been writing about grief for 18 years. And during that timetable, I've, you know, I lost my father, I lost my mother. And, you know, grief, it, it happens differently. Of course, losing my child was, losing Alex was I think the hardest. Losing my father was difficult, but I was busy with having babies and raising children. So I was very distracted. And um, But my mom was my best friend and when she got, ill and I knew that she was going to die, it, was, it took my grief to a whole other level. So I've written a lot about her, her loss as well. So sometimes I feel like I have a PhD in grief, but it's, you know, as we all know, it's part of the human condition and it, it comes with superpowers. It comes with, you know, I think I've become a better friend. I've become a better uh, sister. I've become a better wife because I have a sensitivity just about how fragile and beautiful and wondrous life is. And you know, it's like, you can't just take part of it. You have to embrace all of it. And you know, obviously some days are better than others um, and being a, because I can write about it and, and share my story out loud that has I think really given me renewed passion for living. Um, Sometimes they say, you know, the best way you can honor your lost loved one is to live twice as hard in their memory, in their honor. And I like that the way that sounds, but that wasn't always true. Some days I was really wallowing in my grief and it takes time. It's not something one gets over ever really, but you learn to walk through it and to live through it. And... um, and um i life right now is is very good for me. I feel like I have found my tribe.
0: You I would say you definitely have your PhD in grief from what I know of you. And I I I also just want to add, like I love what you said about in doing your own grieving, your own healing, you also feel like you're doing that for your grandmother because there is that truism that as we heal ourselves, we get to heal generations back and generations yes. forward. And in you doing that work, that also gives her a piece um, that maybe she didn't have before.
2: exactly. and and you know, I also observe others watching me, whether it's when I'm speaking or when I'm living out loud. My grandchildren are watching how I handle loss and how I talk openly about it. So I think in, in some ways, you become a model for others. And, you know, I've had to remind my closest girlfriends that yes, I want to hear you say Alex's name. I want you to tell me stories. It's not going to make me sad. It's going to make me happy that you remember a story about the time he put his cape on and thought he could fly off of, you know, the side of a hill. I love hearing those stories. They make me laugh. They bring joy to my heart. And they also let me know that you haven't forgotten
0: him either. Yeah. Well, as I'm thinking about Alex and knowing a little bit about you, I would love for you to share with us some of the signs that Alex sends you.
2: Oh my gosh, do you have a couple days? Well, (laughs) when he first died, I mean, Alex loved lizards and we had iguanas, we had lots of lizards in our home. He had a menagerie of them growing up. And um, the more, but, but he didn't have them at the time that he died. But the morning that he, the morning after he died, I walked into the kitchen and there was a lizard on my kitchen floor And I had to to capture it in a bottle in order to prove I wasn't insane. I had to show my husband. And, you know, we set him free because I said, you know, this is Alex. You know, he can't live in a bottle forever. So I set him free. But something really interesting happened just last week. We had um, the Central California Women's Conference was held in Fresno for like 3,500 women. And it happened to fall on Alex's birthday, September 20th. And my heart was not completely in going and being in a sea of thousands of other people that day, but uh, my daughter was speaking, and so I put on my big girl panties and said, "I'm going." So I went, and the keynote speaker was uh, Dr. Jen Ashton from Good Morning America. So we sit down at lunchtime. I'm in this huge convention center room, and you know, again, so many, so many people. And Jenna Ashton gets up to start speaking and she starts speaking about her son, Alex. And if she said his name once, she said it 30 times during her speech, she kept coming back to Alex. And even I started my text, my phone started exploding. All my friends who were at this conference, including my daughter, were saying, it's kind of inappropriate. She's supposed to be talking about women's issues and she keeps bringing up Alex's name. And all I could say is I got my sign today, you know, happy birthday, Alex. Happy so, birthday, Alex. so stuff like that happens a lot to me and it just, it brings me great peace. I know that he's out there somewhere and he's communicating with me. And it just, it warms my heart, makes me feel good. Um, Another thing that happened just very recently, a couple of days ago, um, sadly, I have a very good friend whose little boy who just turned one was diagnosed with brain cancer. So they've been at UCSF getting chemo for the last few weeks and, um, pardon me, and when they got home, um, I, I decided to drop off dinner. And I'm choking up. Hold on. I decided to drop off dinner. And when I did, they've the theme of he he loves um, uh, Toy Story, the movie. And so the big theme as they've communicated with friends is you've got a friend in me. And you know, friends have been showing up to help support their, their journey that they're just starting. And so I was at their house, they invited me in, I took the dinner in, and I'm sitting, they wanted to visit a little while. And off in the corner of the room, there was a toy that plays, You've Got a Friend in Me, that they swore had not been wound up for over a week because they'd been in San Francisco. And it just started playing, You've Got a Friend in Me. And again, they just looked at me and they know my Alex stories and they said, Alex, I said, yeah, he's with us. You got a friend in him too. So we're, so we're all supporting the journey. So, I mean, when things like that happen, they're not scary. Um, I can't give you all the reasoning, but they help expand my heart and they bring a smile to my face. And, and I have lots of friends who have stories, you know, we all have stories, right?
0: (laughs) that gives me goosebumps because it is like we don't have to have a rational explanation for it Um, but it happens so often we we cannot deny that it's we can't just write it off as something
2: no and i and i and i i think that uh when you navigate grief eventually you arrive at a place where you do have some superpowers and I think that not all, not everybody on the planet has those superpowers. So sometimes I believe that I see things that everybody around me can see, but I can feel them. I can't always touch them, but I know they're there. And, and that has really been, that's been a, a, a bone to my weary soul at times. So, um, so yeah,
1: so don't think we're crazy. <laughs> um, so one of the other things we wanted to ask you is what might you say to someone who is grieving you had a prescription that we don't like prescriptions what would it be? Um, I think I would I
2: would tell them to be gentle with themselves. I think in general you know there's usually you get two or three weeks off work uh, your family especially especially this is true for women um, you know, we have about a week or two to grieve and then it's back to, back to life as usual, only it's not. And so being extra gentle with yourself, practicing radical self-care, realizing that no is a complete sentence. You know, I had so many friends who wanted to take me out for coffee or cocktails or lunch. And it's like, and I felt so sort of obligated to say yes because they were gesturing with, with love in their hearts But the reality was, I just need to huddle inside my house and curl up in a little ball for a while. And, you know, I've learned over time that I can say no and I say it all the time, a lot of the time now. And so that's something that I I say, you know, you, you don't have to you don't have to go out, you don't have to go to all the parties and you don't all the events and the things that are out there in the community. You can give yourself some quiet time and, and listen to your inside voice and be true to her or him and um, and find your people. I mean, I, I like to, you know, it's not always the people that you naturally think will come to nurture your journey. Sometimes they're strangers, sometimes they're obscure people, but, uh, find your people and lean, and don't be afraid to lean on them. Does that make
0: sense? Like really listen to your intuition.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, I, there's. I know you and I have had other conversations. I always appreciate how articulate you are about your grief. I'm just wondering if there's anything else that has come to you while we've been talking that you'd like to share with our listeners. Well, I think like
2: I mentioned earlier, I'm still learning. I'm learning every single day, and some, it's been 18 years for me, and even though I'm telling you I have my PhD, I'm still starting back to school every morning, you know, because you never know what the day is going to bring. Sometimes, um, you know, sometimes I wake up and just, if it's raining outside, it'll bring on a flood of tears me and other days i wake up with all this energy and i want to clean out closets or i want to go to lunch and it's like you learn there's a rhythm to grief and it's very unpredictable and i've learned to honor it and to not make excuses for it if i'm having a great day then brava then good for me but if i need to spend two days hiding out then that's okay too um, and it, it, I think this journey, more than anything, it's taught me that you never know what's going on behind that velvet curtain of other people's lives. So be kind, because you know we've I've chosen to come out of the closet and share my grief out loud, but there are a lot of people, especially now. Who, who are carrying a lot of grief, whether it's because they've lost somebody during COVID or their parents, they've lost a parent or a friend, or they're, they've lost hope or they've lost a home or a breast. We're, we're living in this huge era of loss. So I think it, it begs us to be kind to each other uh, without, without having to know the reason why somebody is super quiet today and to lean in and, and to offer yourself to their heart.
0: That's beautiful. I'm, I'm with you, like walking
1: kindness. I think it's one of the best things we can do. Yes.
2: Yes, yeah. absolutely.
1: That, that's definitely for me, something I've learned a lot through this uh, coffee talk we've done for the past two years is everybody has a story, but not a resharing sharing their story. Yes. So one of our hopes in doing this is that people will share more stories. say.
2: And I think that's a glorious idea. I love the idea of us sharing. In fact, the the new book I've written is an anthology of lots of other people's stories, and I'm very excited to share that with the with the world. We're very, very beautiful.
0: Thank you. Okay. Well, I think that that is what we came to say today, and we so appreciate having you here in the just the beautiful ways you express your grief and that you shine your heart. Um, It is a pleasure
1: to be in Armin's world. And we so thank you for being part of our podcast today. Thank you so much. Um, We would invite you guys to come and join us at our Coffee Talks the first Thursday of every month. The information is on Facebook and uh, we are on Facebook at Coffee and Grief. You could also email us at coffeeandgrief at gmail.com. If there's something you'd like us to talk about, you have any questions, we would love to hear from you.
0: Yeah. And so in our wrap up, we always like to say, be good to yourself, be kind to your hearts, drink plenty of water, do something nice for yourself. And if you have the bandwidth, do something nice for another. Come back. Thank you for being with us. We love you. you. you.
1: We love you. Bye. Bye.